HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit internationalculinarycenter.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Heritage Radio Network. We are coming to you live from the back of Roberta's Pizza. A lovely, sunny, cool day in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You are tuned in to the Farm Report. I'm your host, Aaron Fairbanks. And today we're joined by some special guests here in studio. Uh, John Karangis, uh, Executive Chef of Union Square Events. And Andrea Cascoon of Cascoon Farms. Welcome to Bushwick and welcome to the studio. Thank you. Yes, thank you for having us. So we are going to talk about an interesting kind of compost uh, relationship between uh, you, John, who are producing foods for Union Square events, and Andrea up at the farm. But before we tuck into that, I want to give our listeners a little sense of your background. So, Andrea, how did you come to farming? My husband and I started about two and a half years ago um, really wanting to bring back the feeling of what food used to be. My husband comes from Europe, and um, just the way they raise things is completely different than the conventional ways that things are raised here. So we moved upstate and um, wanted to give our children a better life um, around the farming, knowing what they're eating, and just started with chickens. And um, we've been really happy doing what we're doing ever since. That's great. So your farm is around 125 acres, is that right? It's 125 acres, and... um, we are about four hours uh, north of the city. Excellent. And now, did I was I correct? You guys have an on-site abattoir. We do. We right currently we have a New York State inspected processing facility right on our farm. That was something very important to us. We wanted to maintain the control of the quality of our birds from the day they get to our farm, which is when they're one day old, straight through the process. And we actually do our deliveries ourselves too. So we really have quality control right through the entire process. And you're working with chickens, ducks. 
rabbits, geese, turkeys. Yep, we can process all of those. All of those. Um, We also do raise hogs on our property and some beef as well. Nice. There's like lots going on yes. there. <laughs> and John, now you are not new to the Union Square Hospitality family. You actually kind of got your start with them, is that right? Correct. Um, after college, I um, had an opportunity to interview with Michael Romano, who's the executive chef of Union Square Cafe, and um, I accepted a entry-level position in the kitchen. I was uh, 19 at the time, and... Um, didn't know much about a lot of things at that at that time, um, especially cooking. Although I had just recently come back from a uh, stage in Paris, so I started to I didn't know it at the time, but I started to feel this sort of um, this bug catching on to me and this this, this enjoyment of uh, fine dining and, and and cuisine and and the world that was was ahead of me. So I um, I spent about two and a half or formidable years there working um, very closely with uh, Chef Michael Romano and, um, of course, Danny Meyer. Um, at the time, it was um, the lone restaurant in the group, and um, it was a world to me that I never knew uh, I could have imagined because um, the care and love that went into um, the food, the, the, the service, the, the team, uh, this overwhelming belief that um, one could really feel special, not only dining there, but working there. So um, it was a very, very enjoyable time in my life. And and um, about two plus years ago, I had the opportunity to rejoin, although I feel like in many ways I'd never left when I went on to do different things, um, because that hospitality was uh, ingrained in me at a very young age and um, sort of uh, set the path for me in between. And now where I am today and uh, sort of leads up to this collaboration with Cascoon Farms. Well, so I want to get a sense, uh, Union Square events, you guys do a, a lot of stuff. Yes. Um, and, you know, the in volume. I mean, can you talk a little bit about how your operation is different than, you know, uh, the restaurant at, you know, Gramercy Tavern or Union Square Cafe, just with kind of sheer sense of, production um and and as a chef obviously coming in and running a restaurant kitchen is kind of a totally different animal than than running the type of shop that you're working on now so you know i'm wondering like where you kind of got the training to essentially scale up the production and and what challenges that presents with regards to i think in particular to uh sourcing and the you know sheer just i just want to get a sense of like how much stuff is coming through your space well um it's a great question, um, but what I'd like to do, and having it, my foundation based out of restaurants, is really look at what we do as a restaurant, um, because our our number one objective is to be able to continually provide um, fine dining like um, food and service in whichever setting we go to, and really use the the restaurants and our, our training as um, sort of uh, the bar. Um, so we, you know, are often called a caterer and we are a caterer in, in fact but I wasn't sure if that was a dirty word I'm like no Can I use no, the it's a, word? <laughs> no it's a, it's it's a great word okay. and it's a word that you know we have a privilege and an opportunity to um, you know provide a service and and um, a lot of us a lot of us in the kitchen are from from um, Union Square Hospitality Group restaurants um, and yet the only difference is that we sometimes serve food that's outside the walls of our kitchen and a restaurant 
but yet all of our goals of, of providing a, a wonderful experience is still there. <clears throat> Excuse me. In terms of um, quality, uh, I'm sorry, uh, quantity of, um, of products that we provide, we, being the event service business, like you said, um, a wide variety of, of, of things going on, and um, so we'll do anything from an intimate gathering in someone's residence to a multiple thousand gallery events um, served off-site. And um, so we could, you know, purchase one chicken for two guests, or we could, you know, purchase thousands, and that's in fact what we do do. Um, again, with the, the goal of taking a, uh, building a relationship with, with a farmer or supplier, um, one that's done very thoughtfully and, and in collaboration and, and uh, beyond purchasing those items, and then, of course, preparing those items and then executing it and providing the right technique and seasoning and flavor and all the things you find in a restaurant right. in a larger scale. Yeah, so this, in some ways, in addition to being a chef, you're also kind of in the logistics game. Correct. So, Andrea, a lot of farmers want to connect with the Union Square Hospitality Group. Um, how, how did you guys meet? How did that relationship start? Um, well, for us being out of the city, it's, it was difficult in the beginning to connect with chefs and different people. So we use um, a web-based um, website called Farmer's Web, and uh, we work with Aaron and Dave from there, and they were able to make the contacts for us. We have all of our products listed on the website, so any chef um, or you know person, we also have some private schools, can go on and look and see what we have or any other farmer has at any given time. So um, I know Aaron had, uh, had some contacts with Union Square Events, and um, they were interested in our chicken, and we were able to set up a time to meet. My husband does the deliveries, so he met with them. And uh, we just had that connection back in April, and it seemed like a perfect fit right from the get-go. I mean, a lot of what they were looking for was right up our alley as far as um, the care that they give to their food, like John was just saying, is exactly what we do to our chicken. And um, having somebody that appreciates the care that goes into what we're doing is really important to us as a farmer. So it was a perfect fit right from the get-go. Nice. So what is, I mean, how many chickens are coming off the property? Um, well, I have last year's statistics I can give you. I mean, last summer we raised about 7,000 chickens. And, um, you know, we changed some of the things we were doing. So we started out only doing whole birds, and then we were able to, um, with our license, cut the, the birds down further into breast, legs, thighs, you know, backs. So that had really opened up a lot of market for us. And um, so on a given week, uh, there's anywhere between three and 500 uh, chickens, and then we have different parts that are coming off also. Nice. So, John, when, when you got connected with Cascoon Farms, I mean, were they one of many farms that you were looking at? And, I mean, are they kind of part of a variety of relationships that you have? Or what was it about them that you're like, these guys are the ones for us to connect with? Well, we, we continually look for, um, you know, uh, fostering relationships with, with people like uh, Don and Andrea Cascoon. And um, this was actually introduced to us through our, um, our purchaser, uh, James Murphy, who, um, who basically uh, led them um, through uh, Aaron at, like, like Andrea said, at Farmers Web. So bringing them on for initial meeting and tour of our facility, it sort of, you know, sort of sparked this um, need to move forward with this. Um, and, you know, we have the luxury of, of space in a large-scale facility in which we, we operate as our commissary, which also happens to be an event space. So um, it, it, it sort of simply 
was was able to work really well from from the start without seemingly having to do too much, other than really to connect as a um, as a sort of one on one because um, we could sort of feel that um, it just felt right. Yeah, good vibes. Yeah, exactly. Well, we are going to talk a little bit today about food waste. Uh, I know here in New York City that. Uh, you know, food and, and food byproducts make up about 35% of the waste stream. You know, most of that's getting carted outside the city into landfills, costing the city somewhere around, I think, $85 million a year. I mean, really kind of insane numbers and an insane amount of, of food is heading um, in, into the landfill versus uh, other resources. So I'm wondering why, you know, what sparked your interest in looking at an alternative? And, and if you can explain for folks who might not be familiar, uh, you know, trash pickup for an organization like yours, is it any different than like, you know, a, a household or, you know, a renter like me um, from a cost or from a, a, a responsibility perspective, if that makes sense? Sure. Um, well, any sort of removal is a service and services are are uh, something that we all need to pay for. Um, <clears throat> but in large part, we were we were looking to do something um, not necessarily to lower a cost or, uh, you know, a removal of a product, but it was more of what can we do, what can we benefit from and having someone else benefit from. And um, we were in talks for a long time, um, which seemed like a long time for a couple of months, of, of how we were going to be able to use this pulp that we were producing on a daily basis and sort of give that back. And, um, you know, and that all happened around the same time that we met with Don and Andrea. So um, we had asked if this was something they'd be interested in. Um, it's a very clean product that we're able to provide them with, which nourishes, nourishes the, the animals that they feed. And so it's really it was, it's pretty wonderful and, and special and something we feel really proud about and look to continue doing and even growing from there. So you're talking about the pulp from... Talking about the pulp that we um, generate from our production for our creative juice line that we, um, we under the Union Square events umbrella, we, we are um, the provider for all the creative juice outlets where we actually make the juices in our same facility. And from that, we have a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of pulp. And in <laughs> that pulp, there are specific recipes. So it's pretty interesting that we're able to have our pulp um, separated for um, the benefit of, of Don and Andrea to be able to see what they want to feed who. Um, and so it's, it's pretty special. Yeah, and I know it's like always gives me anxiety when <clears throat> I make juice at home and I like scraping out the juice. I'm like, all oh, this stuff, there should be a use for it. Like, so, Andrea, um, tell us, you know, tell, I'm curious, like, the chickens like pulp i mean was that something you knew is that like something that you've read about other folks doing or i mean how did you know that that was like gonna be a fit well i mean i think what really happened was when um my husband was going down there and this all started we all started talking um we had just got some pigs onto our farm and um so originally we were thinking okay we're gonna bring this back for the pigs because pigs will pretty much eat anything and it's, you know, it's definitely a lot healthier than, um, you know, commercial feed for them. So um, being that we had so many chickens, we're like, okay, um, we can feed some of this to the chickens. And chickens also will eat a lot of things, and people don't really realize they're really not that picky either. Um, I think more for us, it was kind of exciting because it's like, okay, wow, now we can kind of pick from a menu for our, you know, for the pigs and the chickens and see you know, there was some concerns because we have not done this. You know, we don't want a certain flavor to get imparted into chickens. And we don't, 
So, you know, or it was kind of, you know, having the luxury of looking at this and saying, okay, um, you know, chickens will eat this, this, and this. And some of it was trial and error, you know, if you put a whole bucket full of something and they're picking through it and they're only eating this and everything gets left. It's like, okay, scrape it back up. That goes to the hogs. So it was a little bit of a learning curve in the beginning, but, um, very quickly with the pigs, we realized that, um, the almond meal is their absolute favorites by, by far. Um, the avocado pits, that was kind of something that was neat. We didn't realize that they would actually eat the pits and the skin on, of the avocados. Wait, um, the chickens or the pigs? The pigs. The pigs. Yeah. So not the chickens. No, the chickens, I think, I don't think <laughs> they fit the avocado. <laughs> um, and then for the pigs, the orange peels um, are last on the list. They're the least favorite, but they will eat them. So for the chickens, um, mostly the kale, the spinach, a lot of the greens, um, which kind of makes sense because, you know, they'll they'll eat um, lots of different things like that while they're out in the pasture uh, as far as greens go. But... Um, you know, and carrots was another one that they seemed to like, but it was just trial and error for us. It's not something that we were really able to do a lot of research. I don't think there's really that many people doing it, um, which is a shame because I think a lot more people should be doing it. Um, but there really hasn't been a lot of information for us to pull you right. know, for, for that. Like most innovative projects. Well, right. We're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we're going to have a little bit more juice and, and chicken talk. So hang tight. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network and this is the Farm Report. You are listening to Heaven by Obesity on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit Heritage Radio Network.org today. National Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at internationalculinarycenter.com. All right, we're back. You're tuned into the Heritage Radio Network, and we are talking uh, juice and chickens. So, John, in the in the in the kitchen, when you guys are making the juices. I mean, tell me, how is that different than when I'm making juice at home? Is it just like a bigger machine, or exactly? Okay. I mean, it's not much different. It's just um, like everything we do is on a most cases, it's on a larger scale. Like Super Mario Brothers, Big World. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. So. Tell me the the pulp. Um, you know, when you're pressing the, the juices are are fresh pressed, cold pressed, right? Correct. Cold and pressed. 
And so then the pulp, what happens to it? I mean, you put it in special bags and buckets. Um. Precisely. Um, we have these large canisters, um, these large pals that we're able to house them in, and then we'll refrigerate them, and we'll have them ready for when Don comes and, and, and does his delivery slash pickup. We like to call it the exchange. And um, he's able to know exactly what is in what. Uh, specifically for the usage, because sort of going um, back to what we were talking about before, um, one of the things he realized pretty quickly is things like kaffir lime that has an exotic sort of spiced flavor to it or jalapeno peppers or chilies aren't some things that they want to feed um, the poultry for, for obvious reasons because that would impart that much more of a flavor. But um, so, you know, um, so they do more or less have their own menu in which we're able to provide. And I imagine the chickens like marching in through the juice bar and be like, uh. So, how many times a week, Andrea, are you guys picking up? Um, currently, we are picking up twice a week. We just started doing that last week, and which is great because now we can hit both of their, you know, whenever they're juicing, we can take whatever they have. Um, and some weeks, you know, we come with big, you know, 13 big totes full of stuff and really depends upon their schedule. So now that we're doing it twice a week, uh, Tuesdays and Fridays, we're able to really collect pretty much most of, of the pulp from them now, which is great. Yeah. And so the, the pulp remains under refrigeration down in your facility and then yep. it needs to be refrigerated, I'm assuming, until you feed it to the yep. animals or I'm. Or are there like maybe some benefits to a little bit of fermentation happening? For- I mean, as far as the pigs are concerned, um, they, you know, it's been a long history of farmers, you know, getting vegetables that have yeah. started to turn and feeding it to their pigs. So the pigs are not so much concerned about that. Um, the chickens are a little bit more picky, and um, we do keep everything. We have a refrigerator because we are meat purveyors. We have a refrigerated, you know, meat truck, so we're bringing all of that refrigerated back up and we do keep it in the cooler when we get it up there just because um we want to make sure that everything's as fresh as possible um and it doesn't stay very long i mean the pigs will gobble it up very quickly um you know for the pigs that we have they go through um they can go through up to as many as four to five of those containers a day so they they eat a lot and they (laughs) eat very healthy so (laughs) um but yeah i mean i i definitely agree with what you say a lot of times we open the lids to these bins and it's like oh my god it looks like i want to take a spoon and dig it you know and eat it it just and it smells so amazing so well it's funny when i was working i used to work at a rare breed pig farm upstate and we would get calls you know oh hey i have this tractor trailer load of you know green bean tips or hey we just burnt all this caramel maybe do your pigs want it and it's kind of like if you wouldn't eat it, I'm probably not going to, like, feed, you know, if it wouldn't be kind of palatable to you. Right. I mean, although in my experience, the only thing I feel like pigs don't really like is broccoli and cabbage. But um, there is no... I, people make that suggestion a lot. They're like, uh, farmers come down to the city to drop stuff off. Why don't they, you know, collect restaurant kind of waste to bring back up for compost? Um, and... To me, that always seemed like a little funny because the the trucks that you're traveling, you know, carrying all the food you're delivering in, you don't want to like load up with with compost or garbage. But this is obviously different because um, it's not post consumer waste and it's contained. But do you have? Uh, or were there any kind of challenges from a regulatory standpoint, or was there any like where you know where along that line that that brought up any concerns for you guys or is it not really an issue um no for us because i mean really what they're giving us is just pure vegetable or fruit pulp there's no meats in it there's no um 
like you know there's nothing else in it besides uh, the vegetable pulp which is one of the things that allowed us to be able to do this with them is there's never a worry that there's going to be a plastic bag or twisty ties from a you know everything is really um, clean and I, we know what's in it so it's not a matter of we're picking up um, compost that's been sitting there and it could have meat scraps in it that are spoiled and right. you know we don't ever really have to worry about that so it's basically just taking you know fresh vegetables that have just you know have the outer skins and the you know whatever's left over so there's really no bacteria issue because it's always been refrigerated and it moves so quickly from when they're done to when it gets to the animals it's really never been an issue now aside from the juices that the pigs and chickens aren't huge fans of um are is this really are they able to take all the pulp or do you have like are you looking for other you know, pulp takers out there. They're able to take all the pulp right now. Yeah. And, and as, um, I, we have a feeling that as, as much as our pulp will increase, so will, so will their need. So, I mean, obviously the kind of raw juice, green juice mania has really hit the city in the, over the course of the last year, year and a half. Do you have a sense of other juice companies, what they're doing with their waste? Are you guys kind of at the forefront of the pulp, you know, reusal stage or I, I don't know if, if others are doing it I, I'd, I'd hope so or I'd, I'd like to believe they are or if they're not yet and one day will that's great yeah cool Andrea have you so you know normally chickens are eating kind of a mix of you know uh, a corn or soy kind of grain in addition to whatever they're foraging on for if they're out on pasture um, because this is a newer project for you um, are you guys I'm assuming you guys are kind of tracking the uh, weight gains and like time periods so that you're able to kind of see if this is having any impact and then also I think on the other end from a flavor standpoint once it comes back to the kitchen so maybe starting with the kind of growth um, and like the production model in that end have you noticed any shifts at all or do you anticipate um Um, I mean I think on the chicken end it's um the concentration of what they're eating is still kind of pretty, you know, because we do the pasture raising, they're getting, you know, the bugs and their diet and all of the other things that they would get from the pasture along with some of the, the juice pulp. And then they do get, um, we, we look with, we work with a local mill to custom make a feed that we feel comfortable with feeding them. So they do have to kind of a variety of, of what they're eating. Um, I think really more on the pigs, we're going to have a better, understanding of of what's happening and what you know that's really where we're hoping that to get that imparted flavor Um, especially with the almond meal because you know traditionally um, in Italy and places where these pigs forage and they're you know known for their prosciuttos and things like that we're really hoping to get that nutty flavor into the pork Um, and we are just at the point now where we will have some ready to go to be processed so we're really excited to see what is the fat content going to be you know what is the flavor going to be and um, we will be sharing some of that with Union Square events and getting their professional opinion on, you know, what differences are they seeing, you know, from the from the pigs that they're currently getting versus what, you know, a pig that's been fed the, the juice pulp is like. So we're just in the beginning stages, but I'm sure there's going to be, as we do this, there's going to be a lot of interesting, you know, things that we're going to find out. Yeah, it's like making charcuterie or anything that just takes time. You know, yes. chickens, obviously, their lifespan's much right. shorter than a pig's, and so you're kind of waiting for the feedback. Well, with regards to the chickens, John, have you noticed any changes? Well, I love the chickens. <laughs> I mean, they're they're delicious. They're they, they come in. They they're beautifully presented to us, and and um, they seem to be 
um, moist and, and tender and, and, you know, just beautiful color. And, you know, it really, um, you know, we, we try to take some credit for it. <laughs> but um, I will say a lot of the work and, um, and, and the mastery behind it goes to Don and Andrea and what, and what their team is able to do. So we, we try to give it the same sort of care and respect and properly seize it, season it and, and properly prepare it and, 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 um, and serve it the way that we hope that they would be proud of. And, and you know, recently we, we spent some time in the kitchen together and showed them some of the ways in which we do prepare it and, and in hopes that they'd have a greater understanding of what we do on our end as we're learning and have learned about what they do on their end. Excellent. And Andrea, do you guys, if, if folks want to purchase your ticket chickens, are, are they available for sale anywhere in the city or by mail order, or what's the best way, if, if that's even an option? Yeah, um, I mean, we always welcome people to purchase, you know, up at the farm. I mean, it's hard to do that. Um, we're not in any farmer's markets currently, but we do have our chickens in Italy. We have a, a meat case in Italy that we sell chickens and rabbits and, and other items from our farm there. So people can go to Italy and go purchase in and ask there. Go yeah. Cascoon Farms. Awesome. Yes. And John, any uh, any plans for kind of expanding this type of this type of project? Do you see any opportunities or low hanging fruit with the you know regards to the other kind of food waste that's coming through the kitchen? Things that maybe wouldn't be a good fit for this particular model, but might have some opportunities for other things. Well, for right now, we're looking at ways in which we could start um, separating some of our other items that we compost outside of the, of the juice uh, pulp. And, um, you know, we feel like right now that could be something that we could um, um, share with Cascoon Farms, and, and, and we're looking to grow that. And just the overall awareness with, with our team as well. Um, anything that we're learning together, we want to share with our team and, and be able to tell that story to them and, and sort of, you know, get the message out to as many uh, people as possible. Cool. And only because, you know, farming without an economic imperative is you know, gardening. Um, I'm curious. Can you talk a little bit about the financial arrangement between you guys? Like, is are you paying them for the juice pulp? Are you like, how does that work from a? Um, you know, I think right now it was kind of a win-win situation for both of us because you know they don't have to pay now to have it removed, and we have some of our feed costs subsidized by using the pulp and. You know, a lot of the pulp that they're giving us is organic, which if I had to go buy organic feed, it would cost me an arm and a leg. So, um, you know, I think we were really excited. And for them, they don't have the cost of having that hauled away anymore. So I think it was kind of a wash for us both. Sure. I mean, and, and not only that, but I think for really when we're looking at it, I mean, our our hearts are all in the same place as to where we want to see this go. And, um, you know, there's lots of opportunity to um, to make a healthier product for people and also to limit the amount of waste that's just getting tossed away, which is really a shame. I mean, my hope is that restaurants will get on board with this. I mean, it's it's going to take a lot more, like you said, it's, it's a lot more um, time-consuming to separate out so there are not proteins and there are not twisty ties or plastic into the, the bins. But um, the results for the time taken will be so much more worthwhile than having the stuff end up in a landfill somewhere. There's so many farmers that can benefit from having some of their feed costs subsidized, and the end product is so much healthier to the consumer, and also it would help to lower the price of the product to the consumer overall as well. So, I mean, it really is a win-win-win all the way around, a little bit more work on the restaurant's end and a little bit more work on the farmer's end to have to pick it up and to truck it back. But, um, you know, usually you're, when you're dropping stuff off, you're leaving with an empty truck anyway, so there's usually space to fill. And I think that 
with a little hard work on everybody's end, it really is a win situation for everybody. Yeah, a win for the planet and a win for the palette. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, guys. It was great to have you on. Thank you, Andrew. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you. Awesome. So thanks so much for tuning in. This show, like all 30 of our live weekly programs, are available for free. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher Smart Radio, or visit the website, www.heritageradionetwork.org. We are a member-supported organization, so if you believe in what we're doing, please click that Donate tab and become a member today. Thanks so much for listening, and stay tuned in. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website, or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.